morning, everybody. It's great to see you all out this morning and uh, to have the opportunity to worship God and learn from His Word uh, with the GNG family. And if this is your first time with us, uh, my name is Jeff, and I'll be bringing a lesson this morning. Uh, but before we get into the lesson, would you do me a favor and would you pull out your um, bulletin, okay? Would everybody pull that out? And I know some of you um, probably, uh, maybe your spouse got one and you didn't. Um, but uh, if, you, if you would look in that, and there's a, there's a half sheet, there's an insert in there. It looks kind of like this, okay? And if you would take that out. And if, if uh, you did not get one of these when you came in, I would really appreciate it if you would raise your hand and just hold it up. And then our uh, ushers will bring one of these to you. Um, because we want to make sure that everybody gets an opportunity to fill one of these out. And just so just keep your hands up if you didn't get one, and they'll bring one to you. Now, if you've been attending Good News Gathering for over a year, uh, you probably figured out that we plan our lesson series a year in advance. And so between now and January, I'll be working with the programming team. And the programming team is the team that kind of determines how, how each one of these Sunday morning services is going to work. Um, and the, the leadership team, which is the team that's ultimately responsible for what gets taught here at Good News Gathering, it gives us time this next three-month period to really develop the lesson series for 2020. And on the first Sunday in January, um, those of you that have been here for a while know that you will receive a brochure. Uh, kind of looks like this. In fact, you can pick one up at the Welcome Center if you would like. And it, and it kind of tells you what's going to be the lessons for the entire year. And this is something that we've done uh, for a number of, of years. And, um, and I've had people ask me, why, why do you do that? And there's, and there's really a couple of reasons for that. Um, one of the reasons is that, that it helps the leadership team ensure that the church family receives teaching that is consistent with and supportive of the purpose that Christ has placed upon this church. And so that's, that's the number one reason. But there's a second reason as well. And we plan our lessons out so far in advance because one of the things that we, we've never wanted to run into is we've never wanted to run into a situation where people said, well, you created that series to deal with an issue that I'm facing. Okay, like you're picking on me. Okay? And... I've actually had that happen before where somebody said, well, you know I'm going through this and that's why you taught on this this Sunday. It's like, sorry, but that got planned like in September last year. Okay, so no, I didn't, didn't know. Um, and so it, it kind of helps, helps in that way. Um, but when we talk about the purpose of this church, it's contained really in nine simple but powerful words. And those nine words explain why this church exists. And it goes like this. We exist to develop seekers into fully functioning followers of Christ. In other words, this church exists to develop. Or, I mean, we understand that spiritual growth and the journey of faith is a process. And that people grow and, and develop over time. And so we exist to develop seekers. Those are people who are seeking spiritual truth. And that should be all of us. As we go through life, <laughs> but to develop seekers into fully functioning followers. In other words, they function or they live out in their daily lives the fact that they are followers of Christ. 
and they're fully functioning followers of Christ. In other words, we believe that Jesus Christ is the hope of the world. There never has been and there never will be any substitute for Jesus. We're unapologetically Christian. And some of you may be wondering, well, what does it, what does it look like to be a fully functioning follower of Christ? What, what, what exactly does that mean? And how does a, per- a person's life exhibit fully functioning followership? And here at Good News, we represent that with this thing we call the G diagram. And so fully functioning followers, first of all, get the good news of Jesus. They grow spiritually and, and they're becoming, over time, more and more like Jesus Christ. They give their lives in service to others and they go into their homes and their schools and their workplaces and they share the good news of Christ with other people. In fact, our theme word for this year is the word follow. And we chose that word because we understand that the essence of the Christian life is following Jesus. It's submitting to his leadership, emulating his example and becoming like him more and more over time. Now, this questionnaire that you have in your hands is crucial for helping us craft lesson series that address your concerns and enable you to develop into a fully functioning follower of Christ. Now, these are anonymous, so please be completely honest. We have some prompt questions on there, but if there's something else that you would like us to cover in a lesson, please don't be afraid to, to put that on there. And if you need more room, just, just um, go over onto the back side and you can continue to write there. So what we're going to do here in just a moment is we're going to play some music, a couple songs, give you a few minutes to fill out this questionnaire. If you prefer to do it online, there's instructions on that questionnaire to tell you how to do that. You can access it by your mobile device if you wish. Now, um, you'll notice that the prompting questions kind of work their way around that G diagram. And the last question asks if you have a, a theme word that you would like to uh, suggest for us. Um, Now, some people have asked, well, why do you take time during a service to do this? And the reason we do that is because the couple times that we tried it where we let people take them home, they never came back, okay? Or they rarely came back, and we really want to get as much feedback as we can. So that's why we set aside a little time. So here's what you do. When you get done with this, um, like I said, we're going to play some songs. When you get done with this, just fold it in half like this and then pass it to the nearest aisle, and our ushers will come down and pick those up. So we're going to play some music and give you a chance to fill those out. All right. <clears throat> Thank you very much um, for uh, participating in this. And um, I want you to know that your feedback really does help us try to get our finger on the pulse of this church family. And so it's very important. And I just really appreciate you taking the time uh, to do that. Um, Now, today uh, we're starting a new lesson series, and for those of you that are new to Good News, you do have a lesson outline, it's a white sheet with holes punched on the side, and you can pull that out now, and we'll we'll be going through that in just, just a few moments. But this lesson series is based on a book called Radical Together, and over the next six weeks... Uh, we're going to be working our way through this book and exploring how we, both as, as individuals and as a church family, all of us kind of in this together, can become not casual and not cultural Christians, but Christians who are radically intentional about becoming like Jesus Christ. 
Now, I used two words in there. I said, I said we, we don't want to be casual Christians. In other words, Christians who really, for some reason, believe that the essence of Christianity is I attend church. Okay? Obviously, Christianity involves a whole lot more than that. A whole lot deeper than that. We're not cultural Christians either. That's not what we're striving to be. And some of you may be wondering, what, what, what do you mean by a cultural Christian? I'll, I'll give you an example. Years ago, um, there was a young lady that, that attended Good News Gathering, and she was dating a guy from Switzerland. And he was in the United States on, on business, and, and he was stationed over here because of his business for, for a length of time. And they started dating, and they started to get serious, but he, he just could not understand why she was so involved in church. Couldn't understand why she was involved in ministry. Couldn't understand why she was doing this, that, and the other. And, and so he actually made an appointment, and it was great. I mean, I, I love talking to this guy. He was a neat guy. And, and, but he came in to ask me, you know, what, what, what's, what's this all about? Uh, I, don't, I just don't get this. And so we began to talk, and, and, and I said, well, well, let me ask you something. I said, I, obviously, this girl you're dating goes here. She's a, she's a Christian. Um, and, and, and I said, are, are you a Christian? And he's, he's like, well, yeah. I said, um, well, do you have a relationship with Jesus Christ? It's like, what does that mean? I said, well, um, okay, do, do, you, do you attend church? He was like, well, I mean, I, funerals. Um, buddy got married. I went to church for that. And I said, well, let me ask you a question. I said, why do you think you're a Christian? He said, because I was born in Switzerland. It's a Christian country. I said, Okay, we got some ground to cover here, okay? He, he thought it was just kind of something that went with wherever you happen to be born. Um, now, <laughs> what you need to understand is over the next six weeks, these lessons that we're doing on Sunday morning will also be supported by the, by the book, uh, Radical Together, and also by <laughs> life groups that are meeting during this period of time and, and going through this material as well. And if you, if you didn't get signed up for one of those life groups, you can still do that this morning. If you ordered a book last week, okay, you can pick that up out in the atrium as well. Um, some of the groups are actually starting this week. Some are starting next Sunday, like the group, that, the group that's meeting at our house will be, will be uh, meeting actually next Sunday night for the first time. But our focus verse for this lesson series is Romans 12.5. Let's all recite it together. It's up here on your screens. Here we go. In Christ, we who are many form one body, and each member belongs to all the others. Okay, I know this is the first time for this one, okay? Well, let's try it again. Here we go. In Christ, we who are many form one body, and each member belongs to all the others. It's saying, in Christ, in other words, for those who follow Christ, though we are many, we form one body. We're, we're many. There's a whole lot of us, 650 on an average Sunday, and yet there is unity in diversity. We're not all the same, but we're bound together because we're in Christ. 
And each of us belongs. What an important word. We belong together. We're part of the family. People ask me, why do you always refer to this as the G&G family? It's because if you read the New Testament, that's what church should be like, like a family. In part because we need each other in order to develop into fully functioning followers of Christ. And today's lesson is entitled, The Enemy of Great. The Enemy of Great. I want you to just think about that title for just a moment. In his best-selling book which is a business book called Good to Great, organizational guru Jim Collins made this stunning observation about organizations. And he said this is true for whatever kind of organization it might be, whether it's a corporation, whether it's just a business, whether it's a school or a church or a family. He said this, and I thought this was fascinating. He said, good is the enemy of great. I remember the first time I actually heard him speak, and, and he said that, I was like, what? Good is the enemy of great? In his research, Collins found that some organizations achieve a certain level of success. And what he did is he did these comparison studies with corporations that were operating in the same line of business. And he said some of them would, would rise up to a certain level and you would say, man, that's, that's really good. But there would be another corporation that would be kind of tracking the same way. And then something would happen and that other organization would just keep right on growing and doing better and better and better. And this one would just kind of stay the same. And then eventually, typically, they would start to drop off. And the question he asked himself is, why does that happen in certain organizations? What's going on there? He said, what happened in those organizations that they got up to where everybody looking at it from the outside in would say, that's good. I mean, they're doing, they're doing good stuff, but then they get surpassed. He said, what he saw happen is that they, somewhere along the line, they became satisfied with where they were. They became complacent. They got comfortable. And then they ceased to grow. And rather than continuing to strive for greatness, they settled for being good. And he said, quite often, if you're not careful, good becomes the enemy of great because it lulls you to sleep. So rather than maximizing the potential that they actually had and achieving what they were truly capable of, they were unwilling to commit the time and the effort to make the sacrifices necessary to really excel. So rather than ask the question, what are we capable of achieving? They settled for that's good enough. And that's exactly what they became. Good enough. But good enough rarely is. It tends not to last. And you know, the same is true of individual Christians and churches. We rarely struggle to discern the difference between right and wrong or good and evil. I mean, for most of us, that's pretty simple stuff, right? It's pretty obvious. But we struggle to discern the difference between what's good and what's better and what's best. The difference between good and great. And sometimes when we do discern the difference, we settle for good instead of making those hard choices and those sacrifices that are necessary to achieve greatness. For some reason... We just settle for good. 
Now we're going to pray, and then we're going to learn this morning from a couple of sisters who are actually dear friends of Jesus. Let's go to God in prayer. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you for this day that you've given us and for this opportunity that we have to learn from your word. And Father, we pray for this story this morning that it would speak to us, that it would teach us, that we would learn from it, and that our lives would be impacted and changed because of it. Father, we thank you for your son. For this is our prayer in Christ's name. Amen. Now today's story takes place late in the third year of Jesus' three-year ministry. Okay? Now, just a, this is just a few months prior to his crucifixion. So you have to understand that at this point in time, Jesus is tremendously popular with the common people. The common people, many of whom, and, and the people that he ran with, I guess you could say, or most of his followers, tended to be from the northern part of Palestine. Okay? But in the southern part of Palestine, where the religious establishment was located, in the city of Jerusalem, where the political and religious power structure was, Jesus had a target on his back. And so for a while, before this story happens, Jesus had concentrated his ministry on the north. And when, when we talk about the north, here on the map you see, up, it's up around the Sea of Galilee. Capernaum was actually the town that, that operated as Jesus' headquarters during his three-year ministry. Most of you are familiar with Nazareth because that's where he grew up. But Jerusalem was located in the south in an area of, the, uh, of Palestine known as Judea at that time. And it's, it's about 80 to 90 miles from Capernaum. So you get some sense of distance there. And the story that we're going to cover today happens in this little village of Bethany, which is just two miles outside of Jerusalem. And so for a period of time, Jesus avoided going into the south of the country. He stayed up around the Sea of Galilee, and he was teaching people up there and doing miracles and all this kind of stuff. And he avoided going to Jerusalem in the south, and the Apostle John tells us why. It says, Jesus traveled around Galilee. He wanted to stay out of Judea, where the Jewish leaders were plotting his death. So you need to understand that when this story occurs, Jesus is already in a situation where he is a marked man. He is already in a situation where these people want to do him in. But he goes to Jerusalem because Jesus always went to Jerusalem when there were the annual religious festivals like Passover or the Feast of the Tabernacles and these different festivals that were common in the, in the Jewish faith. But interestingly enough, on this occasion... He did not reveal himself when he went into town. In fact, people were asking the question, where's Jesus? Why didn't he come to the festival? He never misses. But he didn't reveal himself until about midway through this particular festival, at which point his teaching causes such a ruckus that they tried to arrest him. Now, like I said, this was months before he actually gets arrested and crucified at another religious festival. But they can't corner him for some reason. He basically sneaks out of town, and scholars believe that he stopped at the home of these old friends, 
a guy by the name of Lazarus and his two sisters, Mary and Martha, as he's leaving Jerusalem after this event where they tried to arrest him and they weren't able to do it. And so Bethany is just, this little village is just two miles outside of Jerusalem. And so what I'm going to do this morning, it's a little bit unusual for, for, for the way we typically do things here. I'm just actually going to read the story from start to, start to, uh, from beginning to end. And then we're going to go back and we're going to take it sentence by sentence and dig as much out of it as we can. So here we go. As Jesus and his disciples were on their way, he came to a village where a woman named Martha opened her home to him. She had a sister called Mary who sat at the Lord's feet listening to what he said. But Martha was distracted by all the preparations that had to be made. She came to him and asked, Lord, don't you care that my sister has left me to do the work by myself? Tell her to help me. Martha, Martha, the Lord answered, you are worried and upset about many things, but few things are needed, or indeed only one. Mary has chosen what is better, and it will not be taken away from her. That's the whole story right there. And if you read that story, at first blush, it seems simple. It seems very straightforward, easy to understand. And as human beings, when we read stories like this, and especially something out of the Bible, we immediately tend to delineate there's a right and there's a wrong, there's a good and there's a bad, and we tend to view things in kind of black and white terms. And we look at a story like this and we think, okay, Mary got it right, Martha got it wrong. Be Mary, don't be Martha. Simple, okay? Check, Bible study done for today. Problem is, as much as we'd all like to be Mary, sitting at Jesus' feet and taking in what he had to say, we're all Marthas a great deal of the time, aren't we? I mean, we got stuff to do, right? We got responsibilities. We got things we got to get done. And the truth is, especially in the church, we need Marthas, right? We need people that are doers. We need people that get stuff done. I don't know about you, but I'm glad we've got Marthas who are serving in our children's department right now, changing diapers. Okay? I was really happy last Sunday morning when we had picnic on the patio and there were a whole bunch of Marthas in our cafe and out grilling hamburgers and hot dogs so that that stuff was all ready when service was over. You know, I see Marthas in here during the week. People that come in at all hours of the day and night, and I mean that literally, cleaning this facility. These people get it done and thank God for them. And it's interesting to me, you notice it says, as Jesus and his disciples were on their way. So Jesus didn't show up at this woman's house alone. The apostles were with him. So now you've got 13 guys, and according to the scripture, 
it was not uncommon for a number of women to also travel with them. Four or five are listed as traveling with them on a regular basis, taking care of them, making sure they had food and different things like that. But they, I mean, when Jesus shows up at your house, this is an entourage, okay? And think about this. It says, he came to a village where a woman named Martha opened her home to him. Now, this is risky, They're two miles outside the city where they just tried to arrest him and people are plotting to kill him. They're not that far away. You open your home to him, they know who you are. And they start watching you just like they watch him. Now there are two responses to this situation. Point number one on your outline there says it this way. It says, Martha was motivated by a desire to do for Jesus. She was motivated by a desire to do for. It's her home. So some scholars believe she was probably a widow and that she had kind of inherited the house through her husband and now her sister and brother were living with her in the home. That's what some scholars believe. The Bible doesn't exactly say that. But in that culture, hospitality was a huge thing. So when you, when you invited somebody in your home, you were expected to take care of them. You were expected to feed them. You were expected to provide for them while they were under your roof. So Martha is obeying a cultural norm. This is what you do in that culture. You take care of people when they come into your home. Not only was it a cultural norm, but it was an expectation for Christians. Think about that. In Romans 12, 13, the Apostle Paul says, Share with the Lord's people who are in need. Practice what? Hospitality. He says, practice that. Not only that, but did you realize that one of the characteristics that Christian leaders are expected to exhibit is hospitality. This is what the Apostle Paul said to Timothy, a young pastor. And what he's doing is he's giving this young pastor instructions about how you identify people who should be leaders in your church. Notice what he says. He uses the word overseer. He says, here is a trustworthy saying. Whoever aspires to be an overseer, some, some of your versions would say elder or, or um, pastor in your church whoever desires to be an overseer desires a noble task now the overseer is to be listen to the list and this is only part of it above reproach faithful to his wife temperate self-controlled respectable circle word hospitable interesting to me that hospitable comes before able to teach wow And here you have Mary who's motivated by a desire to do for Jesus. She's invited this guy into her home and she's, she wants to take care of him and those guys with him. But Mary was motivated by a desire to be with Jesus. It says there that Mary was seen, seated, sitting at his feet which is a common phrase in that culture. To sit at one's feet is to, is to sit at the feet of a rabbi or a teacher. 
So she was the assuming the position of a student of Jesus. Now this is really kind of out of the norm for that culture, for a woman to sit at a rabbi's feet. But Mary wanted to hear what Jesus had to say. She wanted to be with him. And if we're not careful, it's very easy for us to look at these two things and say, you know, well, well, Mary got it right and, and Martha had it wrong. But the reality is, guys, both are good. Both are good. Mary understood the need for hospitality and, this, and, and, and her desire to do something for Jesus was good. Mary, on the other hand, understood that man does not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of the Lord. I mean, when you think about what the Bible says, and Jesus actually quoted that passage. I quoted it out of the, the Old Testament book of Deuteronomy, but he quoted it when he was being tempted by Satan. But the Bible also says pray continually, continuously, which, is, which means be in God's presence or the presence of Jesus throughout the day, continually. And Mary seems to have grasped that. We've got, we've got Jesus in our home. I want to spend time. I want to be with him. I want to hear what he has to say. And here's the thing, friends. I think we have to understand, and this is paragraph two in your outline, beware viewing these motivations as either or. You either got to be Mary or you got to be Martha. You can't be both. This is good, this is bad. This is right, this is wrong. This is black, this is white. No, 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 no. Beware viewing these motivations as either or propositions. The desire to do for and be with Jesus are both and realities of being a fully functioning follower. In other words, we have to both be with and do for. Be with. And do for. You know, you have to be really careful because I've heard people say, well, you know, Martha got it all wrong. Martha should have been in there just listening to Jesus. But you know, Martha was a tremendous woman of faith and a lot of people forget that. You see, just a few months after this incident, their brother died. Lazarus died. Many of you probably are familiar with that story because he's one of three people that Jesus raised from the dead. And Lazarus had been dead for four days when Jesus arrived on the scene. And it's interesting because Martha is the first one to go meet him. Mary stays in the house. Martha goes to meet Jesus. And the first words out of her mouth are, Lord, if you had been here... My brother would not have died. Think about the faith that that takes to say that. I know if you'd been here, he wouldn't be dead. You'd have taken care of this. He would have lived if you'd been here. And not only that, but later in this conversation that she has with Jesus on that occasion, Jesus says to her, I am the resurrection and the life. The one who believes in me will live even though they die, and whoever lives by believing in me will never die. Do you believe this? And look at her response. Yes, Lord. 
I believe that you are the Messiah, the Son of God, who has come into the world. Whoa. Martha was a tremendous, tremendous woman of faith. So what happened on this occasion in her house? What, what was kind of going wrong at that particular time with Martha? And friends, I think as we go through this story, we're going to find some indications that there is an imbalance in Martha between her desire to do for Jesus and the need to be with Jesus. And friends, it's a struggle that every one of us who is a follower of Jesus Christ has to grapple with at times in our lives. Because all of us find ourselves at times thinking, you know what, I'm doing too much. I'm serving too much. I'm involved in too many ministries. And there are other times when we're thinking to ourselves, you know what, I really need to spend more time in prayer and Bible study. And how do I balance all of that? It's interesting. The first indication that there's an imbalance between my desire to do for and the need to be with Jesus. And we find it in what Jesus says. He says to her, he says, Martha, Martha. And I think this is really important, the way he starts this. There's there's another time when Jesus says somebody's name twice. It's on the night before he died, and it's in the upper room. And he looks at Peter, and he says, Peter, Peter, Satan has desired to sift you like wheat. And I think when Jesus did that, when he would say somebody's name twice, part of it is just to kind of calm things down and to get their attention and to say with their name, you need to listen. Listen. Martha, Martha, the Lord answered, you are worried and upset. And the words used in the original language indicate somebody who's fretting or fussing about details. And this is what was happening with Martha in her attempt to be hospitable. She was so fussy and fretting over these details that she was actually neglecting her guest. Now think about how easy that would be. Imagine if Jesus decided to tonight at 6 o'clock he's coming to your house. How are you spending your afternoon? Okay? Think about that. Some of you are cleaning. Some of you are fixing an elaborate meal because, I mean, it's Jesus, right? Man, you want that house to be spick and span. You want to make sure the bathroom is really clean. The towels are all like nice and lined up and everything, you know. You want to make sure you got the best meal you've ever prepared because it's Jesus, right? I mean, you want this to be good. And it's not just Jesus. It's 12 or 15 other people. He's bringing with them. This is big stuff. But the problem was, 
Martha had Jesus in her home and she's worried and upset and she's suffering from anxiety. Now, I mean, think about this. She had Jesus in her home and she couldn't even enjoy the moment. How sad is that? And Jesus goes on and he says, Martha, Martha, you are worried and upset. And notice what he says about, circle these two words, many things. Many things. And he goes on to say, but few things are needed. And you're probably wondering, what, was, what, what all was she worrying about? And, and Luke tells us, in Luke 10, 4, he says, but Martha was distracted by all the preparations. Circle those three words. All the preparations that had to be made. So she's worried about all this stuff that she felt like she had to do for Jesus. And Jesus makes it very clear that, you know what, part of the... Part of the problem here, Mary, Mary, Martha, is you're overreaching. You're trying to do too much. And you're trying to do so much, you're getting worried and upset, and you can't enjoy the moment. Think about this. She's trying to fix a spread for Jesus. The, 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 the original Greek words kind of indicate that it was over the top. She was like going the extra mile to really, you know, put on, put on a spread for Jesus. And how can you blame her? I mean, she, she's the one that said, I think you're the Messiah, the Son of God, and you're coming to my house. You know, a lot of, a lot of scholars believe that when Jesus said, you know, few things are needed, that it really had a double meaning. And Jesus was on the one hand saying to her, you know, a simple meal would have been fine. You don't have to go to so much trouble that you're causing yourself to break out in a cold sweat or, you, you know, you're not enjoying the moment. Because let's face it, Martha, within the last six months, I just fed 5,000 people with five loaves and two fish, okay? And, and a couple months after that one, I fed 4,000 people with seven loaves of bread and, and, and a few fish. So I'm not going hungry here. Right? Because if you didn't have any food in your house, I'd still eat. But you know, Martha's, Martha's action in this is so us, isn't it? Not only that, but you know, we can, we, we can sense that there's this imbalance between doing for and the need to be with because another thing that Mary, Martha does is she's, she's complaining. <laughs> says, Martha came to him, to Jesus, and asked, Lord, don't you care? What an interesting phrase. Now, <clears throat> Jesus was never married, but at this moment, he understood what it was like to be a husband, Okay. Because anytime your wife comes to you and says, begins a sentence with, don't you care, okay, there are certain assumptions happening there, all right? <clears throat> Assumption number one is that if you did care, you would have already noticed, all right, guys? 
you didn't notice. If you did care, not only would you have noticed, but you would have done something about it. Since you haven't done anything about it and you didn't notice, you don't care. It's a tough spot for Jesus. But you notice, <laughs> notice what she goes on to say. Not only is she complaining at this moment, but then she says, my sister has left me to do the work. Circle the word work. My sister has left me to do the work by myself. Circle the word myself. And then she says, tell her, circle the word her, tell her to help me. Okay? So not only do you have anxiety, she's worried and upset. She's trying to do too much, far more than Jesus would ever expect. She's complaining about it, and then she loses focus. It's a loss of focus. Because now, here she is, she's got Jesus in her home, and instead of being focused on him, she's actually focused on the task at hand. She's left me to do the work. She's focused on others, her sister. She's not helping me. And she's also focused on herself. Poor me. Here I am, I've got all this work, and Mary's not helping me, and you need to do something about it, Jesus. And how like us that is. I mean, how many times we've all had this happen where we've had responsibilities and we've gotten irritated because we felt like somebody else wasn't carrying their weight. We've all been there. Martha thinks that Mary is absent without leave from the kitchen. Okay, and remember, it's a cultural thing. You do hospitality. Women do not sit at the feet of rabbis. So she's probably a little irritated with Jesus that he didn't put a stop to that on cultural grounds. But notice what Jesus says. He said, Martha, few things are needed, or indeed, only one. And here's where I want to make sure you get the distinction here and you don't, you don't think, well... Martha had it all wrong and Mary had it all right. You see, being with Jesus provides the power for doing for Jesus. Both are good, but both have to be in balance. You have to be with in order to do for. And the problem that Martha got into is she was not being with Jesus when he was right there in her own home. She was so focused on doing for. And because things weren't working out the way she wanted, then she began to be anxious. She began to overreach, complain, and lose focus. And how many times does that happen to us Christians who are involved in ministry? We get involved and sometimes we get involved in more than one ministry and then pretty soon our time with Christ goes down as our ministry involvement goes up. And what happens? If we're not careful, over time, 
the work or the service begins to make us anxious. We begin to worry about it. We begin to overreach. We begin to complain. And we begin to focus on who else in this church isn't carrying their weight. And friends, when we start having those kind of feelings, those are moments when we need to think, you know what? I'm doing for, but I'm not being with. And when that gets out of balance, it's not healthy. You see, being with Jesus provides the power for doing for Him. And Jesus goes on to say this. He says, few things are needed or indeed only one. And then he says, Mary has chosen what is better and it will, circle these four words, not be taken away. It will not be taken away from her. Here's the fascinating things, friends. Being with Jesus is the one thing that cannot be taken away from you or me. Isn't that cool? Being with Jesus cannot be taken away from us. Other things can be taken away from us. But only one thing, Jesus said, is needed. And that's to hear from him. That's what Mary got right. You know, I think about that sometimes when it comes to Good News Gathering. And I think about the fact that, you know what, we could have the coolest auditorium. We could have the greatest sound system. We could have the softest seats. We could have the best coffee. We could have a a cool band. And it's all good stuff. It's all good But if we don't hear from Jesus, when we get together, if that is not a focus of what we do when we're together, then we've missed the point. If we aren't with Him through Bible study and prayer, we're off track. And at some point, this thing won't work because we've lost focus. You know, I think about the fact that it cannot be taken away. The Bible says this. It says, as the scriptures say, people are like grass. Their beauty is like a flower in the field. The grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of the Lord remains forever. And that word is the good news that was preached to you. The word of the Lord remains forever. That's something that Mary grasped, is the need to hear the word And the fact that it can't be taken away from us is comforting to me. Everything else will pass away. But the word of the Lord remains forever. Think about it. The the world cannot take that away from you. Time can't take that away from you. Interestingly enough, the Communist Party has tried that in China and they can't take it away from their people. I have a map in my, I have a map in my office of the countries around the world that are deliberately trying to eliminate the Bible from their country. There's a number of them. It'll never happen. Even if they burn them all. 
Being with Jesus is the one thing that cannot be taken away. In our culture, a lot of secular educators try to take it away from our young people as they grow up. They can't take it away. They can't. Friends, I don't know what your next step is this week. Perhaps you're not a Christian. And on the back of your connect card, you might want to think about checking that box that says, this week I want to discover what it means to be a follower of Jesus Christ. If you are a Christian, I hope that this week you'll grapple with that question. How am I balancing being with and doing for? Am I in balance or am I out of balance? Perhaps your next step this week is to learn what it means to be a part of the G&G family. And you can sign up for Class 101, which is next Sunday, immediately after second service. You can sign up for that on your Connect card. But friends, I, I hope and pray that all of us who call ourselves followers of Jesus Christ will think this week about the balance in our own lives between being with and doing for. Both are good, but they need to be in balance. Let's go to God in prayer. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you for this day that you've given us. We thank you for this time that we could spend in your word. Help us, Father, to remember the lessons that Mary and Martha teach us. The lesson of the need to be with and that desire to do for. Help us to remember that both are good. We just need to keep them in balance. For this is our prayer in Christ's name. Amen.